0: Another day. Another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream. Hi folks, this is you Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Maybe Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't dictate it as almost always the case differently than yesterday during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. And today, folks, it's almost like driving a boat because it's rainy and nasty. And it's not like a boat because it's... uh Because it's such a heavy downpour rain. It's actually kind of a light rain, but it's that light rain that just coats everything and all the vehicles around you throw water at you. So I'll apologize in advance if I have any long pauses or uh, any kind of distraction today. Um, a couple of people commented on yesterday's show and said, "Man, I don't know what you did yesterday with the audio quality, but that was awesome. Please keep doing it." Um, what I did yesterday, the audio quality is recorded directly to a computer from an isolated home office, and uh, did not podcast mobilely, so I can't keep doing it—not yet, anyway. We'll we'll get there, but for now, you got to deal with that background sound. That's uh, that's wind noise outside the car you're hearing there, folks. Because again, as always, this is a Mobile podcast. All right, folks. So let's get into uh, the housekeeping today, and then we're gonna—I'll tell you what we're gonna talk about before we even do the housekeeping. We'll get into the meat and potatoes of the subject, so to speak. Um, but. Hold on, I've got to deal with idiots. Ugh. There might be an auto rant today, folks, I'm telling you. Uh, this is not a day for Asclown driving. Anyway, today what we're going to talk about is kind of the state of the, the U.S. economy, the global economy, and some of the things you need to be looking out for and finish up with some of the things maybe I think you should be doing. Uh, and You pick and choose the ones you want to use, or you have come up with your own, and if you have suggestions, send them to me. Uh, we haven't really talked about economics for a while. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but folks, there's some things you need to realize about what's going on out there, and what you really need to realize is how you're seeing only one picture at a time. I'm going to try to put them together for you today, so you can see them in their entirety, and what they really mean. And, uh, oh God, you know, this weather, and these people, come on, buddy, use your brain, I want behind you, not in front Anyway, it's going to be an interesting day. It's going to be an interesting day. Uh, but I'll try to put them all together, let you see it. And, um, let's start off with the housekeeping number one make sure you're supporting our advertisers folks these guys do a lot to help us to support us uh and to make sure that uh that the show keeps on keeping on in addition to the support that comes from the members as well uh First advertiser of the day, Safe Castle Royal. Uh, they have everything and anything you could want as a prepper, uh, from food to really cool stuff, including a lot of 12-volt stuff that you won't find anywhere else for your solar needs or your travel needs. Uh, some really interesting things that they have in their 12-volt lineup, so you might want to check that out. Um, they also have a discount buyer's club. I'll tell you more about that in just a second. Uh, but our other sponsor of the day is a new sponsor that we just introduced this week called S. QA experts—they have some really cool uh, body armor protection, uh, including a ballistic shield that keeps shots off the body. I think this is something that, if you know a law enforcement officer or a military person or something like that, you should definitely let them know about. And uh, if you're if you're interested in increasing your own hardening of your home and having some uh, level of ballistic protection, this this may be a good outfit to check with because they'll they uh, they sell not just to law enforcement and military, they sell to civilians as well, so let's just check them out. Next up, please make sure you are uh, joining our forum and in, in, involved in our forum, and if you're a forum member but you don't get there often, get by the forum once a day, just check out some new posts, see what's going on, make friendships, build relationships, find out about upcoming events, uh, and start to build community, because it's important that we have a community built beyond just you know me talking to you on, on the air. Uh, last but not least, if you think this show's worth more than 20 cents an episode, uh, if I occasionally inspire you and actually affect you in a way that you change your life and you think that's worth more than two dimes a day, consider joining the member support brigade. You'll get exclusive content available only to members. You'll get over $60, actually over $70 in retail value for free uh, from various items that are available there for immediate download. That comes your first year. Uh, it's either $5 a month or $50 a year to support the show that way. And uh, I'm working real hard to kind of get this thing into a state where I can do this full-time for you, the more people that take that step, the closer I get, and I'm getting very, very close, folks, very, very close to where you can have the audio quality you had yesterday, and uh, you can have a lot more interview shows and a lot more audience interaction and all that stuff, but that stuff, that requires me to at least be able to just pay the basic bills getting there. So I know that might sound like a telethon or something, but hey, you guys have helped me from the very beginning, so it's natural for me to continue to ask you to help me, and I'll keep trying to help you with uh, great subject matter ideas, action items, the things that can change your life, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So what we're going to talk about today is the economy, where the economy is going, and kind of how I see some of these things in total. Most of them you'll probably have heard in a blip here or a blurb there, you'll have heard it on the news, you'll have heard it on an, an internet circular, you'll, you'll you'll hear it somewhere, you'll know about it, you'll be like, yeah, I know that's going on. But I think what happens is we get them all piecemeal, and we don't see them in total. And, and, and why I want you to pay attention today, even if the economy's not your thing, is I want you to think about it like this as we go into it. If we were out on a boat together, out in the middle of a really big lake, let's say one of the Great Lakes, we're not as bad as we're out on the ocean, uh, but we're far enough out, it's hard to see land it's going to take you, you know, 45 minutes at full throttle with the boat to get to land, if we just went to land as fast as we can, we're way out there and we got two engines on our boat, you know if one of the engines goes out it doesn't seem like that big of a deal and if the boat springs a small leak that the bilge pump, which is a pump that pumps excess water out of the boat, is having no trouble um, keeping out of the boat. It's an inconvenience. It's an annoyance, but if everything is nice and beautiful and fair weather, most captains would probably keep fishing and just, we'll fix the other motor when we get in. They'd probably call in port, and they had a partner let them know their situation, say, kind of alert, maybe stay in the area. But it's not the – the ship's not going down, right? But if a really big storm is brewing and coming in and cutting you off from your port at the same time, and there's no other port you're going to be able to get to before the storm hits – Now the one faulty engine and the small leak take on a new meaning. Now they're a bigger deal. Before they were an annoyance, now they may very well be your undoing. Because if you had two motors, you know, two is one and one is none, is an old survival rule, plus you've got more speed, more throttle, you can fight the current, you can fight the the, the storm, uh, you have greater range. I mean, there's, there's so many things that extra motor gives you. And that small leak that the bilge pump is having no problem uh, taking care of, when you start taking swells over the bow of the ship, Now that leak is another mitigating circumstance that swamps the boat. That's how you see some of this stuff. So... Well, what's going on? Let's start off with what the the people that are trying to spin good news are telling us. You know, come on, Jack. The the economy's not bad. It sucks, but it's not that bad. It's in recovery. Can't you see the Dow Industrial Average? Weren't you blathering on about that all last year, talking about you should have took your money out? In October and November, you're going, man, it's bad now? And and now look at the Dow. It's at 9,600. Don't you remember when it was down in the 6,000s? I mean, we're on the road back. Really? Okay. Well, you know, in October and November, when I was telling you, I wish you would have pulled out before, and it's too late now, and now the thing's on its butt, and I don't know how much worse it's going to get, but this sucks, and, you know, this is kind of really, like, going to be, a, we're going to be at this range for a long time. That's what I said. The the, the range we were in October November, are going to be there a long time. We'll go up and down, here and there, but basically we're going to go sideways and maybe some big dumps in the middle. Well, you know where we were at? in October and November, 9,000 to 9,500. Do you know where the Dow's at right now, today? About 9,600. Because we had this huge dive, January, February, and March, and we went down to 6,000, everybody looks at 9,000 and goes, well, that's pretty good. But it was a disaster in October, it was a disaster in November. It was the final death nail in a Republican campaign. My God, we got to change this. Look at this. The whole economy's doomed. Now we're right back where we were and everything's good. I, I, I don't want to be a pessimist today. I just want you to understand how things get spun. Uh, the next one is the job losses are declining. In other words, less people lost jobs in August than lost jobs in July and lost jobs in June. So even though people are still losing jobs and unemployment's still climbing, hey, unemployment's a lagging indicator. It looks like the economy's bottoming out. Well, wait a minute. Is it bottoming out or are we in recovery? I'm confused. Right? Oh, we're on our way to road to recovery. Economists came out and said the recession's officially over two months ago. It was in the Wall Street Journal. It was like... Thirty of them, they pulled it. Twenty-eight. Said, yeah, we're out of a recession now. It's it's a, it's a recovery. Well, wait wait a minute. Are we recovering? or are we bottoming? If you're bottoming, you're still in decline, but you're you kind of leveled the flat, and you're not going to go any deeper. There's a thing with the job loss that I'll spring on you toward the end of this podcast that no one's talking about, and I think you might be shocked when you hear it and you hear what it means, but we'll just let that go for now. So what's going on out there that's, that, that's clearly bad, that no one says, hey, this is a good thing? Um, number one is our, our good buddies, China, uh, they're diversifying their reserves, what the hell does it mean to diversify reserves if you're a nation? Now, if you diversify your reserves, that means that you go look and go, I don't want all my money in the stock market anymore. And you pull some of it out. Maybe you buy some gold and some silver. And maybe you buy put some money into your real estate. And maybe you invest in your home by improving it. And uh, maybe you go out and buy some sort of commodity. Or you pay off debt. Uh, so maybe the, the asset looks gone, but it's not really because the debt's been eliminated. And uh, you've basically Bought and paid for your own debt. And uh, the debt is now resigned to the past, so future incomes are now available for further diversification into assets. That's what it means when you diversify your debt. When a country does it, it's not much different, except it affects a hell of a lot more people. When, you know, Tom Smith or Bob Jones down the road from you diversifies his portfolio, it doesn't really affect you at all. You could really not care less. He buys a new car that he can't afford, he does it foolishly, doesn't affect you. He pays off his debt intelligently and diversifies into hard assets, doesn't affect you. You don't even know. You don't even care. People treat countries that way, but we shouldn't. Because what they do matters, because they do it with trillions and trillions of dollars. Um what China is doing is a variety of things, some for the very first time in history. China is now selling about 900 million dollars, uh, either a week or a month—I don't remember which—which which the timeline was that I read this on. But about 900 million, you know, compared to our 2 billion, right? So it's small potatoes compared to what we do uh, in the same time period. I think it's monthly. 900 million monthly—they're selling their own bonds. What's weird about that? Governments sell bonds all the time. China hasn't typically sold bonds to the international market. Uh, They've done a lot of things to devalue their currency against ours to make it flat. So if ours goes up, theirs goes up. If ours goes down, theirs goes down. And they do that to keep a trade imbalance. By keeping their currency weak against the U.S. dollar, they make a strong market for their exports. That's why everything you buy is made in China today instead of like it used to be in Japan. Because China played that economic game. Weak Chinese currency, strong U.S. dollar. That makes the U.S. market a great place to sell into. It's why a country would do that in the first place. Well, when you start selling bonds against your own government, you can't just keep doing that. You have to then start to strengthen your currency so that the people holding your bonds will believe that their investment is secure. So they've done things like buying mining operations, farming operations, etc., oil production operations in Africa. They've, they've gone out and they've, they've bought tremendous reserves of gold, And what they're beginning to do is not put all their money into U.S. Treasuries anymore. They're looking for an alternative. They really haven't found an alternative where to put their money yet. Uh, Because their money, if it just sits in their country, in their form of currency, because of the economic game that they've played for so long, is worthless to them. They have to put it into something else. Or they have to start building up the value of their currency by lending money to other countries. I know that sounds crazy. But that's why we're the single biggest debtor in the nation, because when you have a fiat currency system, the country that owes the most money up to a point actually has the most power. I can't explain that today, but that's what they're doing. So China's doing all types of things, like China's always done, and saber-rattling about a new currency for the world and all types of other things. But this has always been going on one level or another, but what else is going on? Well, while all this is going on, gold just went over $1,000 an ounce again. I think it just crept back just to the uh, south side of that number, but gold is continuing to push back to its former Bull run, and it looks like it's going to go further this time than it did before. So gold continues to increase in value. Now I think the thing is that people have gotten used to the concept of a thousand dollar an ounce gold, folks. During the Y2K fiasco, where people were buying gold in 1999 and freaking out, gold was trading between three and four hundred dollars an ounce. Okay, so it's you know doubled plus another half. You got to think about that. That's a, that's a big move for gold in ten years. That's a huge move for gold in ten years. Where did that move come from? Did it come from gold suddenly becoming more scarce? It, it, are times really really good, and are people buying so much gold jewelry that they're putting a demand against it? What? Why is gold up so high? Because the value of the money globally is down. Everybody did the same thing we did in this financial crisis. Everybody printed more money. Now, nobody printed as much money as we did. We, we out-printed the rest of the world, as usual. But everybody printed money. And by printed money, I mean everybody created new currency and flooded their economies with more currency. They just made more money and shoved it in wherever they could find a place to shove it in. Wherever they could spend it as government spending. Wherever they could put it uh, into the hands of a financial institution and say, now loan this money out. Wherever they could buy debt that their citizens had against places they weren't going to pay it back wherever they could collapse assets, wherever they could shove money in, they shoved money in. More money than has ever been seen before was shoved into the global economy in the last year and a half, two years. Now, what does that do? It devalues the money. This may be really hard to understand when you think about trillions. But if, let's just say, you, I, and two of your best friends were standing in a circle looking at each other eye to eye right now, and in my hand, I held 100 marbles, and I gave everybody 25 marbles. So we had 100 total marbles in circulation. Everybody had an equal share. And I said, this is now our currency in our four-man economy, and everything that we buy, sell, and trade will be paid for in marbles. And we all agreed to that, kind of as an internal barter system. Right? Well each marble has a value of one one hundredth of the total economy. So if you were selling me a pocket knife and we agreed that a basic pocket knife was worth about two marbles, or two one hundredths or one fiftieth of our global economy, then two marbles now buys a pocket knife. Make sense? Uh, it should make perfect sense, okay? So now I have 27 marbles, and you have 23 marbles, and you decide that you would like, you know, to buy uh, some really nice pieces of wood that I have that uh, you're going to use for handles to make more knives. So you give me a couple marbles, I give you a couple pieces of wood, everything's floating. A piece of wood is two marbles, a knife is, or a piece of wood, so let's say five pieces of wood or two marbles, and a knife that uses two pieces of wood is two marbles, because it's a blame there in your labor and everything else. Everything's working just fine. Now, that economy is very level, very fluid. Now, if we bring two more people in and we issue an additional 50 marbles, everything still works as long as they're contributing members to the economy. Right? You would think that the money's been devalued. It really hasn't. Because now we have increased our production by the same level that we've increased our currency. That's how fiat currency works. It's actually money leveraged against the output of the people in the economy. All right, But if we don't add two new people, and I just go out and get 100 more marbles and put 100 marbles into the economy, even if I have them all. So now I have 125 marbles and everybody else has 25 marbles. I become the wealthiest man in the economy, at first, until I start spending. And as I spend my marbles and they they get into the economy, and all of a sudden everybody has more marbles, maybe I go down to, I have 75 marbles, and all of you guys have, you know, 40 marbles, all of a sudden, since you have more money, that pocket knife now costs more money. And if I directly double the money in the economy, without doubling the output, that two, two marble pen knife costs four marbles, and your dollar has been cut in half. That's how it works. That's why gold, silver, all these other commodities have continued to increase in value. And it's just, I'm sorry, it's just the way that it is. Uh, on top of this, what else is China done? Well, there's something called rare earth minerals. Rare earth minerals are things used in technology products, cell phones, satellite relay systems, um, highly power efficient uh, appliances. Uh, there's, there's a ton of them, cadmium, lithium, quadnium, you name it, all different types of these rare earth minerals. China's the leading exporter of them, and they've just banned the export of them. So all those great, you know, super efficient light bulbs that the ass Clown wants to put in a bunch of buildings and create green jobs changing light bulbs or what have you. Um it might not be as easy to do next year as uh, he thinks it's going to be because it's going to be harder to get these items because China's hoarding them. Now, are they hoarding them because they want money for them? No, they're hoarding them because they have 1.6 billion people, and they need to worry about energy efficiency and technology growth for their own economy more than the rest of the world. So what their plan is is to... Uh, Continue to grow grow their economy, and to do that, they need these rare earth minerals for themselves because they're rare, right? They're rare in a way that makes gold look pretty freaking common uh, when you look at the industrial allowances that they need. Now, there are other sources. They're in Australia and California, believe it or not, of these minerals, or of many of these minerals, not necessarily all of them. Now, here's the problem. The production in those facilities has gone down the toilet to nothing uh, in the past 10 years. And the reason that that's happened is, is very simple. Up until now, China has flooded the market with them, cut the price on them, sold them for next to nothing to get capital in to grow their economy with. Now they've got plenty of money, right? And what they need to do now is actually start using these things for themselves. So China ruined the market for everybody, closed down production, ramps production back up um, but then cuts off the supply. Now the rest of the world—the Australians, the Americans—were sent scrambling to begin production of these things again, uh, because like everything else that Americans do, when it's cheap, we let other people do it. The other little tidbit that's out there that people are talking about—they're and they're spinning. This is a good one. Oil is stuck in the seventy-dollar a barrel range. Oil should probably be pushed up, or should have been pushed up, into the ninety-dollar a barrel range, and it didn't happen. And It's still not happening. And every time it it moves to the high side of the 70s, it creeps straight back down. Now, why this is happening is investors in oil right now have no confidence. They just have no confidence in the global economy to kick back up and see that oil demand spike. And they're also looking at a lot of this green technology, and they're going, oh, shit, they're really going to build a freaking electric car. It's not going to be 100% electric, but it's going to push down the demand for gasoline. And the Americans have caught on to this stuff, and even if the economy starts to recover, unless they recover in the next two to three years, we're not going to see an oil boom again. If we go four to five years before we go into real recovery, the the oil boom isn't going to come the way that they used to. It'll go way up. People will say it's astronomical and expensive, but all it will do is drive more and more people into these alternative technologies because we get a lot of our uh, gasoline from oil, like all of it. Uh, we don't necessarily get all of our electricity from oil we get a lot of it from coal we get a lot we're starting to get more and more from wind we we get a ton of it from nuclear whether people really accept that or not we get it from hydro and there's more and more methods being done to free people from oil the saudis are actually getting a little bit concerned here that the us might actually cure its oil addiction to a degree so <clears throat> that's part of it but the bigger part is the the real oil money would be gambling and speculating the market up like they did a couple of years ago on a short-term spike if recovery was imminent. But they're not because they're not convinced. I'm not saying that they're right. I'm just saying that there's not enough evidence for them to try to make that happen right now, to start pushing the price of oil any higher. And whatever they do, when the real skin has to come in the game, when the real money has to flow, they cut it off and say, I can't, I can't go any higher. Right? It's just like a guy gambling at the craps table, you know, and he puts a big stack of chips down on Lucky 7. And they go, sir, do you want to increase your bet? He goes, no, that's as much as I got in me. That's what's going on with oil right now. So everybody that was coming down on the speculators back in, in 2008, what you need to understand is they were putting a lot of money on the table. And they were risking a ton of money to make that happen. And a lot of them, believe it or not, ended up losing their ass in the end because they didn't pull out in time um, when oil tumbled back down. So that's another thing that you know, concerns me, is just the fact that the people that make a living playing the economy, and they've been doing it for decades, aren't convinced that the recovery is coming, and you see it in the price of oil. Next one I won't say much about, but just the dollar is lower against the euro the Swiss franc, the Australian dollar, and the British pound that any time in 2009, right now. So it's reached an all-time low for this year. Not an all-time low for history, but an all-time low for this year. So, come on, unemployment's bottoming out? You know, come on. We're in recovery. Dow's raging back into the 9,000 range, just right where it was after it crashed. Uh, The first part of the crash, anyway. Um, Come on. Everything should just play the band. Well, wait a minute. You know, or as the British say, wait a tick here. Um, Why is the dollar so devalued against the euro, the pound, the Australian dollar, everything else? Why is the dollar's value tanking? We already explained that. Put too many dollars into the game. And what the Fed needs to be doing right now, I hate the Fed, remember that, but if they're going to do their job, they need to start pulling some of this money back in right now. But the politicians won't let them pull the money back in right now. You know, they Don't believe that the White House doesn't have any influence on the Fed. Don't believe that the Fed doesn't have any influence on the White House. This is an unholy cabal. And they both understand that if they want to keep playing their game, they got to take care of each other. And right now, the Obama administration is seen as a savior for the Fed because there's a big move in the Senate and the House, as we all know, to audit the Federal Reserve. But it's got to get past Obama, even if the House and Senate pass it. Compromise bills reach; it's sent to the the, the the president. He can veto it. One man, one signature, it doesn't happen. So the Fed has to keep him happy. What's he want? He wants to be reelected. He wants to make control, re- maintain control of the House and the Senate next year. What do they need for that? They need this, this suckers rally to continue. They need the economy to look like it's getting even better. That's why next year, the stimulus money that we keep hearing about, most of it hasn't been spent yet. Most of the stimulus money, that had to be done overnight. We had to do it now or the whole world was going to end. Most of that money doesn't start getting spent in until March next year, right when the primaries kick off, and most of the money will be pushed into the economy by about August of next year, all right, we're right about the time we're starting to really pull all our troops out of Iraq. You see how the deck gets stacked there. This is the people that are in power trying to maintain their power control as they go into an election year by trumping everything up. That's why I actually think next year is going to look pretty decent. It's not going to be, you know, 1999 during the tech boom next year. People aren't going to get that suckered into it. People are going to get suckered in. Housing market will look better. All that money is going to get spent. It's going to be like giving a person in debt a new credit card with a huge credit limit on it and great payment terms, and they're going to look really good until they extend the credit too far. That's what we're going to see next year. That's what I see coming. Um... The next one is, you know, China, Brazil, India, um, and and Russia, right? The brig nations have been saber-rattling about wanting a new global currency for a long time. You know, several years, and people are like, yeah, they don't get what they want. They're only, you know, I don't know, 65% of the global population, 70% of the global population. Screw them. How much influence do they have? Well, you know who does have influence is the United Nations. United Nations has a lot of influence since they're the entire world in the world government. It's not really a world government. Please pretend you don't see the UN in New York City, and please pretend it's not a governing body and doesn't do things. You know, just pretend it's not there, right? Because we don't have global government. Okay. Sarcasm ended. Um, but the UN is a- actually now talking and saying, uh, out of its you know mouthpieces, that we may we do need to consider a new global currency. That this uh, this one hundred percent control by the United States in the form of dollar warfare, my word, not theirs, uh, is not a good thing. Now, let me tell you what I think about that. I think that the U.N. is right. God, Jack, did you just say that? No, I I do think the U.N. is right about that. Um, I don't think it's good for us. I don't want it to happen. But I can damn sure understand why they would do it. You have to think about the fact that the global reserve currency standard is the United States dollar. And our dollar whether it's strong or weak against anybody else's currency, directly influences the economy of every nation in the world. Us, our one nation has financial dominance capability against any other nation in the world, other than maybe the British, because the British pound is, I won't explain it today, but let's just say it is a very significant crunch for the dollar. It, it gives the dollar a lot of its power, and there's a lot of cohesion between the British and the United States, financially. And there has been for a very, very long time. Long before World War One. I'll leave it at that for today because I want to stay simple with this today. But those two nations, specifically the United States, has the ability to destroy an economy of any nation almost overnight if it chooses to. You talk about the global nuclear war threat. This is a global financial war threat. This is why we can put a country into oblivion through U.N. sanctions, which we always sort of leverage that power play to get done. The United States, everything we do is not wonderful. Everything we do is not great. And a lot of times we'll do things in our self-interest and we don't really consider the consequences until they're already there. And we have that power. And I'll put it to you this way you'd say, well, why don't the rest of the world trust us? Do you trust them? Do you trust our government? Do you trust our president and our congressmen and our senators to put their self-interest below your own? Well, then why should the rest of the world trust them? So what the world's saying is maybe we need to do something, not, you know, decide that Russia gets it or China gets it or India gets it, but maybe we need to do something where it's more than one country that has this much power and this much control over the global economic system, especially if that nation is the wealthiest nation in the world, um, the freest nation in the world, to a degree, we'll talk about that another day, Um, but also, without a doubt, the most militarily powerful nation in the world. Maybe a nation that already has those three should not also have complete control over the global economy. Can you really argue that we should? Should the U.S. exercise financial dictatorship across the world by having its dollar be the reserve currency for the world? you really make a case for that. See, that's what I'm saying. I think maybe they have a point. Folks, the thing is, most of us don't want the dollar to be the reserve currency of our own nation. What do you mean? Well, the dollar as it stands. Your dollar is backed by debt from China, or debt to China, I should say. Debt to India, debt to Russia, debt to the British, debt to the rest of the European bloc, debt to Brazil. Debt to your own people, debt to ourselves, debt to the Federal Reserve that runs the debt, manages the debt, and profits by the debt. Debt against debt against debt. It's financial house of cards. It's it's the derivatives market that destroyed the real estate world on steroids. It's debt upon debt upon debt. the Federal Reserve can't sell enough Treasury bonds... It buys some. How does it buy them? With money. Where does it get the money? It creates it out of thin air. What is it backed by? Nothing. So I think a lot of us would like to see some level of gold reserve or some type of commodity reserve come back in and limit the production of dollars to basically change the dollar from what it is into something that it used to be. Maybe it's not 100%. Who knows? But we have to have some check against it, some true wealth reserve. That the rest of the world looks at it and goes, yeah, okay. that's a... So if we want to change it, why wouldn't they? Now, since we're not going to do it, why might they not change it? Now, they might change it to something with some kind of commodity backing. They might keep a fiat currency standard. But to me, if I'm the rest of the world, I would look at it. Let's say, let's take a, take our bias out of this. Let's say... I'm a nation that's kind of friendly to everybody. You know, I don't really have any problems with anybody. I don't cause any problems for anybody. And I just kind of sit there and mind my, my own business. I don't know a nation like Peru. Do they have any problems with the Peruvians? Do they have any problems with us? Do they have any problems with the Russians or the Chinese or the Indians or the Brazilians or, or the Canadians or the British, I mean, Peru just kind of sits there and hangs out, right? Now, if you're Peru and you're a Peruvian citizen, would you feel more comfortable with the United States exacting economic control over your economy by reserving, preserving your currency against theirs? It's not like you can't do anything, but they have a lot of control and influence. Or would you rather see that strength divided up among, let's say, your, your neighbor to the south, Brazil? Those those nice Indian folks that answer the phone when you call for tech support in India. Uh, the Chinese that you get a ton of your stuff from right now. And they must not be that bad because half the stuff in your house is made in China. And those Russians that used to be all evil and scary, but they're not so evil and scary anymore. Now again, take your personal U.S. bias out of this. And tell me that that, that BRIC alliance, and there could be more nations involved. It could be that the European Union comes in and says, well, why don't we include the euro in this? And we take, let's say, the euro, and we maybe we create a regional Asian currency where we, we do things that are, are, you know. And that's what you're going to really see here, and it's a step toward world government. That's not black helicopters, right? That's not tinfoil hat. You start to see regional currencies created. An Asian currency, a European currency. You start to, 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 to you know eliminate how many different currencies there are in the world. And then you get stability. Because it's easier to manage four than it is to manage 400. Well, that's why the U.S. is always said, well, it's easier to manage against one. But can you trust any single nation with that much power? And if you think about the BRIC alliance... There's a lot of diversity there. Russia and China are not that tightly aligned when it comes to ideology. There's a lot of ideological differences, even though they're both technically communist nations. The communist uh, China is moving way toward capitalism. A lot of freedom left to be won there for the Chinese people, but it's, it's coming slowly. India is a socialist democracy, I mean, India is—it's it, not an oppressive nation, folks. I don't like their economic system. I don't like the caste system that's still there, you know, kind of a, a nobles and in, in commoner system that's still in place there. But, folks, we have it here. Just not, at the cultural level they have it there. Um, but that's a thriving economy it's a thriving system and it's growing and the people in india don't seem to have any problems with anybody except the people in pakistan which no one seems to have a lot of love for anyway and it's all over one little piece of land in the middle and you know it doesn't really affect you if you're again if you're a peruvian right brazilians they don't seem to cause trouble for anybody they like to dance and party uh, they have one of the most rapidly growing economies in the world. So when you look at that group, you might say, I don't trust the Chinese. But you might trust the Chinese as a Peruvian or an Australian or a Canadian in concert with the Russians and the Indians and the, uh, uh, the uh, Argentinians or the Brazilians with an equal stake, especially if you threw the European Union in there and the Euro. Now you've got something that looks way safer than just letting America control everything. That's why I think sooner or later this is going to happen. All right, so I went on a long time about that, but it's, it's important to understand it. And if you look at what people with lots of money are doing, you'll you'll see that they get this too. Um, money right now is, is doing two things. It's moving east, it's into China, uh, or into, like, Malaysia, Singapore, um, Hong Kong, places like that. Like, Jim Rogers now lives most of his time in Malaysia. And the other thing that uh, money is doing is buying farmland. The billionaires are buying farms. We say that again. Because it, it's not... There's no debate about this. There's no... Well, maybe they are. This is fact. The billionaires of the world are buying farms. Right now the food commodity market is cheaper than it's ever been. It's not a good time to be in the farming business right now. It really isn't. Farmers are not making a good living right now. And when I say farmers are not making, you know, the, the guy that's actually out there driving the tractor, right, or digging in the ground, that guy's never made a good living in the history of the world. When I say the farmers aren't making a good living right now, I mean the guy that owns 20 farms It has all these guys out there working that are the actual farmers, the corporate farmer. They're not making a ton of money right now because of the depression, because of the recession, and because we've basically leveled off the food supply where everybody's getting the food that they can afford to buy. So that's keeping prices in check, and you're not seeing wheat futures, corn futures, anything else really skyrocketing just yet. So what does that mean? That means that everything in that market is cheap. Now, ask yourself a question. Do rich people... With inside knowledge, in a history of making strong investment decisions with the very best advisors in the world, A, buy markets when they're raging and really on the way up, where there's only so much profit left to be made and the chance to hit a bust on the other side, or B, do they buy markets that are severely depressed on sale at a discount but poised for a huge upswing? Which one of the two? Do I need Jeopardy music for you? They do the second one. The rich people always put their money into the market that looks the worst when it's about to become the very best. So what does that tell you? It tells you food shortages are coming. It tells you that an agricultural boom from a standpoint of profitability is coming. Remember, rich people don't invest because it's the great feel-good place to be or that everybody else wants to be there. They look for the maximum return of investment. So the money's moving to farmland, and the money's moving to the east. So you buy a bunch of American farms in a place that can produce more food than any other place in the world because you have some of the richest farmland here. Maybe you go in, and where you still can, you buy some in Germany, which is another great place to grow food, um, especially with the global warming stuff, right, because it's a warmer climate now, Uh, you go into Canada, you go into Africa, and you look for fertile land, and you buy it up at pennies on the dollar, and then you move your assets to the east, and you wait. That's what people like Jim, Jim Rogers is a multi-billionaire. Folks, sometimes you've got to get your head around what a billion means. A billion is a thousand million. He has multiple thousands of millions, to put it in perspective. He knows what's going on. He's got the best people in the world to tell him what to do with his money. Buying rural land, moving his assets to the east. This does not spell good times for the U.S. What you're seeing is the U.S. go back into almost a colonial state with the people that have money in the world. Well, I'll buy a piece of this newfound land, right? I'll, I'll pioneer it, but I'm going to go sit across the ocean and take my piece of it and, you know, let's call it a tax, in this case, it'll be a profit. we we'll just change the economic means by which we harvest it. But what you're seeing is the U.S. being pushed off from the rest of the world right now. And uh, don't think it can't happen. Because the, the height of arrogance is the precipice upon which defeat is built. And and, and I don't know if I ever heard that somewhere or if I just made it up, but there's so much truth to that. At the height of your arrogance, you stand at the absolute peak of a mountain, To fall off the other side And that's where this nation has gotten to We don't, but you know, we always say Well, China can't leave us They have no place to go There is another, you know I don't know, 90% of the world's population To do business with, folks We're not as important as we think we are That's what I'm trying to tell you today And uh, The last little thing that I want to tell you That's going on today This is the one nobody's talking about It has to do with these job losses And I don't think even the people that are talking about it are actually explaining what it really means. And this one's frightening. And you really have to understand that it means we're going somewhere that we're not coming back from. And I don't mean there's no more good times left for our nation. I'm not being that pessimistic. I'm just saying that things have changed forever when this starts to happen. And that is that these job losses that are leveling off, when you look at them throughout the year, we've lost more jobs in percentage then we've lost GDP. So what's GDP? Gross domestic product. That's a total output of the nation. Historically, there's been a very strong correlation. If unemployment goes to a certain level, then GDP follows it. Less people, less production, right? Less GDP. Less GDP must mean less people. The two are, since the worker's the producer, you take away the worker, the production declines. Pretty simple. Well, now, Unemployment is falling, you know, the, the, the unemployment rate is growing, which means the total number of employed are falling faster than the, the, the domestic product. In other words, industry has not trimmed the workforce and production at the same level. They've trimmed the workforce and they've kept production higher relative to, to that. It's it, hard to understand except, let me put it to you this way, if you're a factory owner and you only a small factory, you got 10 employees. And you end up having to let four of them go. Right? So you've lost forty percent of your workforce, right? But you still have ninety percent of your production. How likely are you to ever hire those four people back again or go find four new people to hire? Until you know, your customer demands more, it ain't going to happen. And even when it does, since now you've found new efficiencies, you've trimmed the fat, you've found the inefficiencies in your business, you'll never go back to 10 employees to get back to the previous level of production. If you go to 10 employees again, you're going to expect to be able to take production up to about 140 to 150% of where it was. Why does this matter? Every business in America that's been strong enough to survive figured it out this year. When they let people go and went, oh crap, we have to do this, but I don't know what's going to happen to my business, they found out that a lot of people that they let go didn't really produce anything for their business. And their businesses are going to be smaller and leaner, even if the economy recovers. That means that a lot of these jobs that were lost are never, ever, ever, ever coming back, because the employer has realized he didn't need the employee. Now, look, I'm not putting any individual down. I'm just saying that we've gotten so comfortable in this country. Jobs have gotten so easy to deliver on in this country, with some exceptions, and most of those are the people that are still employed, or the reason they're unemployed is their company completely tanked and went under and went away and gone, or a division of the company completely tanked and went away and over and gone. But the people that worked for a company that had 10,000 employees, and the company laid off 1,000 or 10% and kept all operations running with 10% less and figured out how to do it, those 10% were not key to the business. I don't care if they were good people, if they had good ethics, if they worked as hard as they could in their situation. Maybe it wasn't them. Maybe it was the system that they were in. But they were not necessary for the business to produce. I want you to think about that again. They were not, ne- And it's provable by the fact that they're gone. The business is still producing. Right Now, that maybe means that somebody's working harder. But if I pay you, I expect you to work as hard as you can for me, right? That's what's gone on. That's what's happened. That's what this means. And it's a very bad thing long term for the United States economy. Because it means jobs haven't been lost in the way that we thought of in the past. Lost jobs in the past meant times were tough, so everybody cut back. But when times get better, everything will come back. What it means now is that jobs are actually lost. They're gone. They're eliminated. A lot of people, your job is like that of an elevator operator in 1900. When they made the elevator simple, your job went away. You need to find something new to do. And we need to create new sectors. And so there's an exciting opportunity for this country, if we'll take advantage of the opportunity, to create new things, new technologies, new products, new services, new systems. But... We are not in a position to do it. We have a huge growing deficit. We have a government that's intent on bailing everybody out. The, the entire economy is depressed. The rest of the world doesn't want to be with us right now. And we're creating an environment where nobody wants to invest in business in this country because they feel like it's only going to be taken away from them anyway. So if they are going to invest in money and business, believe it or not, they're going to communist countries to do it. They're investing in Asia. Or they're going to places like Ireland or Georgia. You know how much money's going to Georgia? I don't mean Georgia, our state. I mean Georgia, a former nation of the Soviet Union, has become one of the best markets in the world for business investments because they've cut the properties or the the, uh, the income tax for corporate uh, entities to near nothing. I think it's like twelve percent. So. The money that is available to make these investments and and to say, okay, well, these things are gone, we need to create something new, it's going outside of our country. Not because people are unpatriotic, because it's the smarter investment, folks. And people with money don't invest their money in, in these things because they're cool or patriotic. They invest their money to get it back, plus more. That's the only reason they do it. So we've created an environment where that money's flowing out and the jobs are gone. Sucks, doesn't it? So if if you're like me right now, and you're sitting in a rainy, stormy, gloomy day in traffic that's barely moving, and you're thinking, why the hell am I going to work? Why the hell am I doing all this, if this is the case? Because you don't have to participate. As long as there's people around you, and as long as you can do something of value as long as you can innovate, create, deliver there's always opportunity for you I don't care what the government's doing I don't care what type of regime we're living under, I don't care how bad or how good it is, there's people that have thrived in every single environment and if you choose to, it can be you so what do I think you should be doing right now number one, I think you should be practicing the ten tenets of modern survivalism which I'm not going to go through because it would be a show in itself but it's on the blog, the Survival podcast.com go there click on modern survival philosophy in the center column near the top read that if you haven't you've got to follow these principles and there's soon to be 12 there's two more that i'm going to add to them soon as part of developing a book that's coming for all of you who have asked you got to be doing it and some of them highlight that you absolutely have to be doing it right now you need a reserve of food if it's 60 days, I, I'm okay with that. But it's not a week. It's not 72 hours like the government tells you. You need at least 60 days of reserve food in your home ASAP. Not because I think it's coming tomorrow, because I don't know what's coming and when. And I know if you can survive for 60 days without a trip to the grocery store, be it because of a cataclysm or be it because you're broke. If you give yourself that 60-day cushion, you're going to be okay. You need at least 60 days in cash Reserves to pay your bills for 60 days if you have no income. At least 60 days. You've got to get rid of your debt. The people that say the debt doesn't matter, screw the debt, don't pay your debt, all these other things, unless you're in the absolute middle of a bankruptcy and you're telling the credit card people to go screw while you fix the other places and not get kicked out of your house, unless that's you, anything else, you need to be working on your debt. If you say, but I got laid off, I took this job, and I'm making less money than ever before, and my wife's making less money, and we have more bills, that is great. Pay on your debt now. What the hell are you talking about? Look, if times are bad for you right now, and you're struggling, you're trying to get back above water, and even in this situation, at your lowest point, you start on a plan to eliminate your debt. You do just 1% more than the bare minimum when you were doing the bare minimum, or 2%, or 3%, or 5%, but one way or another, you work hard enough, all right, to start actually whittling down the debt now, even if it seems insignificant, then every time things get a little bit better for you, you figure out how to make a little bit more money, you figure out how to cut another expense, every time that happens, you'll throw it at the debt if you start now. If you don't start now, every time you get another asset to work on the debt with, you'll convince yourself it's not available for that. You need it for something else. So you have to start now, no matter how bad things are, getting rid of your debt. Is it a cancer that will destroy your life? You absolutely need to have a plan on how to hell to get out of where you're living right now if something really bad happens. If we have riots because of some of this stuff, if we have a flu pandemic, if we have anything that's going to have you have to get out, you better have a way out. You, if you have money, you should be investing in real commodities that are going to have lasting value for you. Now is the time to buy rural real estate. All right. Short of going into stupid debt, do what you have to. If you've always dreamed of a place in the country, there is has never been a better time. Your money has never bought more. And your money will probably never buy more than right now in that marketplace. This is the time for action on finding that bug out location or mini farm or micro farm or just place in the country or what have you. Now is the time to do that. This is the time to be improving your home. To make it better, to make it more valuable, the real estate market is going to recover. I don't know how long the recovery will last. And if you need out, what I'm telling you is make your house as good as you can, as nice as you can. Put the things in that motivate buyers, especially stupid buyers, because a stupid buyer with an approved mortgage is your friend when you're trying to sell. So do the things that make the stupid buyers act. And when we get this recovery next year, if you've been waiting to get out, be ready to act. Get your money harvest it, and go where you really want to be. I'm telling you, you're going to get the opportunity, but by God, you have got to be ready to capitalize on it, because I do not know how long it's going to last. It could last two years, it could last six months, it could last four years. I don't know what it is, but I'm betting, I'm betting on less than one. I'm betting on like a 9 month to 14 month recovery bubble in the real estate market. When all of this money gets shoved in in the stimulus package and starts to come out the other side, it's going to all of a sudden people are going to get jobs and start buying. And all these people that have been waiting for the opportunity that are going to buy are going to start buying. And that's going to drive prices back up. It's not going to push them where they used to be. It'll push them where they should have been before they got driven where they shouldn't have been. And for a lot of you that were smart, that weren't stupid, that didn't buy at the height of the market, that didn't always believe there would be a bigger sucker than you to sell to? Right, that were smart, that got good mortgages with good terms, that have some equity in your home. If you want out, it's going to be your opportunity to get out. Be ready for it. If you're not stuck, now's the time to buy. You don't want to wait for that recovery to come and then have to wait for it to pop again. I don't know how long it's going to take, so for you as well, if you have money, if you have the power to purchase, there's never been a better time to buy real estate in this country. Some of the other things that you should be doing, If you've got most of the rest of this sorted out, man, solar's cheap right now. Wind is cheap right now. If you've been thinking about putting in a solar array with battery backup, grid tie, whatever, this may be the best time in the world to do it. The government's giving you 20% of the money back. Some places it's as much as 30% of the money back and the state's kicking money in. That means you can buy a $10,000 solar array for $8,000 right now. $8,000 seems like a lot of money, but not if you have it. Not if your house is paid for. And you have no credit card debt. And you're driving paid vehicles. And you have good positive cash flow. And you have 60 or 90 days at least in reserve just cash. It's not a lot of money. Because then you have a greater independence from the system. And... um, I don't know that we're going get—we're not going to get a better opportunity than Alan Solar. I won't say the way real estate is. I'm not going to say it's the cheapest that alternative energy is ever going to be, but I'm going to tell you that uh, it's pretty damn good deal. And if we go into a real period of instability, being able to at least keep most of the lights on, if not all of them in your house, um, might mean a lot. If you've been watching the colony, the electricity that they were able to provide for themselves, I think it's meant a lot emotionally as well as practically. Last but not least, keep your head. Don't freak out over this stuff, people. We've been through worse than we're going to go through in the past, plain and simple. And the human species has always adapted and overcome through improvising. And that's what you're going to have to do in the future. You're going to have great opportunities. You're going to have to improvise on how to capitalize on those opportunities. You're going to have really tough times. You're going to have to improvise on how best to deal with them. But remember, it's not your fault that we're in a depression or a recession or whatever you want to call it. You're starting to hear calls again. Right from economists, from the government, from corporations, that if the American consumer would just start spending money again, everything would be okay. Well, let somebody else play that stupid game. You don't play it. Save your money or invest your money if you're spending it buy things that last buy things that you buy once and it's done for the rest of your life or at least buy things that last 10 to 20 years buy things that you'll use buy things that you'll need buy things that increase your independence that's why I'm big on real estate if you buy a piece of land that produces food for you now you have a place to live you have shelter you have a reserve of your wealth and you have food production think that way Be creative. Understand the power that you have is more in your brain than in your muscles. And it will always be that way. The human mind is the most incredible computer, the most incredible weapon, And the most incredible asset in the world, users, exercise it. Figure out how to do more with less. Your goal now is not to get more so you can have more. It's to figure out how to have more without having anything additional. It's to work hard at living the show credo. Building yourself the life you want if times get tougher, even if they don't. That's what it should be all about. And you can make these things happen. No matter how bad you think they are, there's always a way out, and there's always a way up, and you need to keep striving for it. You need to keep optimistic. But. Just because you're an optimist doesn't make you an ostrich. You have to think about the things that I told you today. They'll give you a sense of urgency. They'll make you have a reason for what you're doing. When somebody says to you, you're nuts. Don't worry about this. Even if you don't argue back with them, you'll know, hey, there's a reason for this. It might not happen, but it could. If it does happen, I'm better off. If it doesn't happen, I might have to give up a little bit right now, but I'm still better off. I'm still going to have a better life. I'm still going to have more security. I'm still going to live more behind for my children. I'm still going to take better care of my spouse. I'm still going to have more genuine happiness in my life than the guy down down the street with the Acura SUV, the impossible payments that he'll never he'll die with debt. I'm still going to have a better life than him. The guy driving down our street that looks at my my driveway and his driveway may not think it's the case, but I'll know it's the case. And my kids will know it's the case. The people that I care about are gonna know it's the case. And that's what's really important. This
1: another is with Jack Spearco
0: with another edition of the Survival another Podcast. Dream. Helping you figure out how to live that better Makes life. Top to you tough, when, or even if they are. When you can scream. You can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.